Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 192, The Mind's Eye. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. John Champion is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, looking for what's really happening in the episode, not just what's presented on the surface. This week, The Mind's Eye, the one where Angela Lansbury is a Klingon, Henry Silva is a Romulan, and John Champion... John Champion is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. In a moment, I'll be doing the trivia thing, but first... But first, I want to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you want to leave us a voicemail, call us, please, 323-522-5641. That number again is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and places to leave comments and other fun little nuggets, is missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now... It's time for trivia. Wait, that, that, that's it? Uh, contact information, intro trivia, what, did I miss something? Well, I, you know, I tend to like something a little more formal, like Time Now for Trivia by John Champion. John Champion is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. I may never tire of that. Hey, while I'm doing trivia, mm-hmm. why don't you pass the time with a little solitaire? Today's story, The Mind's Eye, is by Ken Schaefer and Rene Echeverria, the teleplay by Rene Echeverria. Now, this is Ken's only writing contribution to Star Trek. He actually worked as a script supervisor on a handful of productions, including the new Monsters series in the 80s. His software company won an Emmy Award for pre-visualization software it had developed for the industry. Now, it was directed by David Livingston. David had been working in the industry since the 70s as a production supervisor, and he came on board Star Trek The Next Generation with Encounter at Farpoint, wearing a lot of hats throughout his career there. Line producer, production manager, producer. He just kept working his way up, and he would continue on to the end of The Next Gen and work on Deep Space Nine and Voyager. This is actually his very first directing credit. He will direct more than a few more shows, including all the Star Trek spinoffs, plus throw in a little Baywatch Nights and Sliders, because why wouldn't you? But really, let's talk about the Manchurian Candidate. I know, I know it seems a little out of step to do (laughs) trivia for something else, but let's talk about the the Manchurian Candidate, which came out in 1962. It was written by George Axelrod, based on the novel by Richard Condon, and directed by John Frankenheimer. Uh, There is an interesting Star Trek crossover. Um, Leslie Parrish, who appeared in the movie as Raymond's girlfriend, Jocelyn. A few years later, she would appear as Lieutenant Palamas in the Star Trek episode, Who Mourns for Adonais? David Livingston was such a huge fan of the movie, he actually wanted to get at least one cast member from the Manchurian Candidate to appear in this episode. Sadly, it didn't work out. And incidentally, since we talked a great deal in our discussion of the drumhead about the McCarthy hearings, Manchurian Candidate is a great companion piece to that as well, since the James Gregory character, Senator Island, is based on McCarthy. Um, and I, I like how that movie taps into the paranoia around the communist threat but then also about the problem of how we react to that threat. What I'm trying to say here, for those of you who don't know, is that maybe you should pause this podcast, go watch The Manchurian Candidate starring Frank Sinatra from 1962, because this entire episode is based on that movie. Wait a minute, though. Wait, mm -hmm. I would actually suggest that people... Well, you think they should actually watch The Manchurian Candidate before listening to this? Because if you've not seen The Manchurian Candidate... You know, you're not missing anything. Uh, maybe that's true. For this maybe episode. That is true. Whereas if you yeah. have seen the Manchurian Candidate, you may think, you may not, I don't want to say yet, uh, that maybe this episode is missing something uh, by comparison. Mm, interesting. Okay, so it's your choice. Pause now and go kill a couple hours watching a great classic movie. Yeah, a great Or listen movie. to us 
yeah, listen to us babble for another 45 minutes and then go watch the Manchurian Candidate. I got to say really quickly, too, because mm-hmm. I know you you're you're moving off to other trivia things right now. But as long as yeah. we're doing Manchurian Candidate trivia, mm-hmm. uh, Angela Lansbury, we mentioned earlier, uh, Henry Silva, yes. we mentioned earlier, Janet Leigh. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, of uh, course. And then, of course, yeah. you mentioned, uh, yeah, did you say James Gregory? You did say, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. And yep. Uh, there's somebody else I can't, I'm, I'm missing right now. Well, Frank Sinatra, of course, you mentioned, too. Yeah, well, we, we mentioned Frank Sinatra. Yeah, yeah. just tremendous, tremendous movie. Yeah. Very yeah. worth watching after this. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so to continue with the mind's eye, um, shuttle pod Onizuka, uh, named for astronaut Ellison Onizuka. We mentioned this before in the Ensigns of Command. The Onizuka is one of the crew members who died aboard the space shuttle Challenger in 1986. He was the first astronaut of Japanese ancestry to go into space. Uh, some more prop notes for you here. Um, for the high def remastering of this episode, they recreated all of Jordy's uh, POV shots through his visor and it's actually very very close to the original it's uh, it's kind of cool to see those side by side um, let's see those cargo containers that we see in cargo bay 4 uh, they've been used on next gen before but actually they go back a few more years before that to the original Battlestar Galactica um, so you may have seen that same prop in that show in Buck Rogers, because, of course, pretty much anything in Galactica was also a prop used in Buck Rogers the next year. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the visor sound effects that whenever we see Geordi's POV was also a sound effect used in Battlestar and probably some other sci-fi shows as well. Let's see. We have the first use of the phaser rifle here. We have our old friend Rick Sternbach to thank for that design and David Livingston for uh, choosing to go with that particular design. Let's talk about guest stars. We have Lawrence Dobkin as Ambassador Cal. Now, Larry worked on a huge number of mostly TV, but some film projects starting back in the mid-1940s. Everything from Bob Hope specials to the Mod Squad. He worked on the original Space Patrol in 1953, which I absolutely love. Look it up if you've never seen it. Well, after you've looked up The Manchurian Candidate. Uh, He worked on I Love Lucy, L.A. Law, the movie Patton. It just goes on and on. More importantly, though, he has more than a few directing credits to his name. Some major shows, including his one turn on Star Trek, the original series, directing Charlie X. We also have John Fleck as the Romulan Tabak. He appeared in True Blood, Weeds, Chuck, Carnival, Murphy Brown. Get used to him. He'll be back for Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and in a big way with Enterprise. Edward Wiley plays Governor Vogg. He shows up on shows like Max Headroom, NYPD Blue, Jake and the Fact Man. His first professional acting credit is actually the movie Chariots of Fire and... It should be pointed out that he, too, will be back for more track with one appearance on Deep Space Nine. We also have Deborah Dilly as the mysterious Romulan female hiding in the background of Geordi's brainwashing scene. She goes uncredited here. She was actually working as a stand-in, and she'll be back with some more uncredited roles in front of the camera um, on more of Next Generation as random crew members. Oh, and we do have a voice actor here, also uncredited, Denise Crosby. That's a weird choice, I know, and I wonder if it'll pay off maybe somewhere else down the road. Jordy LaForge is on his way to a conference on artificial intelligence. Finally, an episode that speaks to me. I cannot wait to hear what he learns. Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge is in a single-person shuttle on his way to RISA for a conference on artificial intelligence. Because even in the 24th century, AI is still being held down by the man. Captain Picard has ordered Jordy to have fun and relax while he's away, and that starts with the trip. Drinks, music, games. Why doesn't he pass the time by playing a little solitaire? Because he's got a computer with which to play games. Things are going great. Until he's captured by Romulans. Act 1. The Enterprise is taking Klingon Ambassador Kell to the Klingon colony on Krios. Colonists are fighting for independence from the Klingons. The Enterprise is coming along because the governor of the colony, Vach, a loyal Klingon, thinks the Federation is secretly aiding the would-be breakaway rebels. 
Kel wanted Picard to come along specifically due to the assistance that he's provided to the Klingon people in the past. Picard assures Kel that the Federation is not aiding the rebels, which Kel says is good, since such aid would strike at the very basis of their alliance. Picard tells Kel that he'll be working with Worf on security matters. Due to Worf's casting out from Klingon society, Kel asks to work with someone else, but Worf is the chief of security on the Enterprise. Picard tells Kel again he'll be working with Worf. What do you say we check in on Geordi? He's strapped to a chair on the Romulan ship that captured him. The Romulans are sending another black guy with a visor to Risa to take Geordi's place. Geordi says that he'll be no help to the Romulans, though they think otherwise. Removing his visor, they're able to tap straight into his visual cortex and bombard him with images. Play something stressful and Geordi gets stressed. Play something relaxing and Geordi relaxes. A little bit of Ludwig Van might provide a good soundtrack for his conditioning. When it's over, says the Romulan pushing the buttons, Geordi will act normal, the perfect tool for their plan. While one Romulan pushes the buttons, it's a female Romulan who seems to be in command. Can't get a clear shot of her, though. She's always in the shadows, like the fifth roommate on The Young Ones. Mr. Buttons assures the shadow that the conditioning will leave no physical trace. Geordi's implants mean they can plug right into his existing hardware. And now, let's get to conditioning. Back on the Enterprise, there's a touchy talk between Worf and Kel. Kel tries to get Worf to admit that the Federation is helping the rebels on Krios. Worf says Captain Picard does not lie. If he says there's no Federation support, there's no Federation support. Kel also compliments Worf for killing Duras. Had he not, Duras would have eventually ascended to leading the Council, which most everyone thinks would have been terrible. Worf says his motives were personal, not political. Though Kel couldn't care less about his motives. When the time came, Worf acted like a Klingon, so... Good for you. In 10 Ford, there's Geordi with three Romulans, including Mr. Buttons. This is obviously a simulation. It's a good one, though. At a nearby table sit Chief O'Brien and a couple of other Starfleet officers. After establishing their relationship, Mr. Buttons gives a fateful command. Lieutenant Commander, take the phaser and shoot the transporter chief. Geordi hesitates. He'll need a bit more conditioning. After a little cajoling, though, Geordi kills O'Brien, then takes his place at the table. Act 2. Geordi's back on the Enterprise, and man, did he have an awesome time on Risa. He learned a lot about artificial intelligence, he took silver in a chess tournament, he swam, he ate, he met a girl. Sounds like something you'd hear about on Lido Deck. The Enterprise crew is glad to have Geordi back. Governor Vach of Krios is presenting evidence of Federation support of the Rebels. They'll need Geordi's help analyzing what's presented. Data's picked up something odd. He says sensors have detected a brief energy fluctuation in the E-band. No clue what caused it, but he'll keep watch. Down on Krios, Governor Vach's evidence looks pretty damning. There are Federation medical supplies, that's not an issue, and what appear to be Federation rifles taken from the rebels. That could be an issue. Picard wants to take the gun back to the Enterprise to verify its origin. Vox says no sweat. He has hundreds more just like it. Picard says even if it is the real deal, it must have been the work of a third party. The Federation did not arm the rebels. Vox doubts the captain's veracity, though Picard caps his argument by swearing at the Klingon, in Klingon, like a Klingon. Kel tells Vox that he'll report back when the weapons analysis is complete. In 10-4, Geordi sees Chief O'Brien... He orders a drink, calmly walks over to O'Brien, and pours the drink on the unsuspecting transporter chief. Honestly, that could have gone worse. Act 3. It looks like Geordi's going to shoot somebody! Oh, wait, they're just testing the rifle from Krios. While it looks exactly like Federation issue, it's actually better. Or more powerful. Or different powerful. Geordi says it's been charged in a way that indicates that it was made by the Romulans. Vach doesn't get it. What would the Romulans care about an out-of-the-way colony like Krios? But Kel says their real interest would be in creating tension between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. He thanks LaForge for his assistance. Back on the Enterprise, Data's still hunting down the E-band anomaly. He's picked up another blip. In a cargo bay, Geordi is reprogramming isolinear chips. He's rerouting power. He's rerouting a transporter. He's beaming something to the planet and he's covering his tracks with the computer like Data on a trip to see his dad. On the bridge, Governor Vach calling, Are you kidding me? We totally intercepted the weapons you just tried to beam down to the rebels, Picard. Picard tries to protest, but Vach won't hear it. 
He tells Picard not to leave orbit, and to make sure he doesn't, a Klingon attack cruiser and two birds of prey decloak in close proximity to the Enterprise. Act 4. Data and Geordi begin the hunt for the weapon's transport. The transporter logs have been erased. Geordi says he's not even sure how it happened, though he knows not many people on the ship could have done it. Kel says Vach is ready to open fire on the Enterprise, though he's convinced Vach to check with the Klingon High Council first. So, death may be a few hours away. Geordi has an idea. If they can trace power flow over the past few hours, they might be able to figure out where the weapons were beamed from, bringing them one step closer to by whom. Their deductive reasoning leads them to Cargo Bay 4. It looks like someone has reprogrammed the isolinear chips to hide their activities. Geordi says the only people on the ship who could have done that are Data, O'Brien, Lieutenant Costa, and Geordi himself. And Geordi's the only one with no alibi at the time of the incident. For some reason, though, Geordi is also above suspicion. Data and Geordi are going over their findings with Picard and Kel when Commander Riker pipes in to let Data know that he's picked up another E-band emission. Data will get back to work on that mystery. Kel tells Picard that Vach is getting impatient. Picard tells Kel to tell Vach that the Enterprise is doing what it can to get to the bottom of the mystery. Also tell him if I have to, I will defend my ship. Kel suggests Picard invite Vach to the Enterprise to keep tabs on the investigation, and Kel will urge him to accept the invitation. Then now, if Picard will excuse Kel, he's getting the Kel off the Enterprise, right after a big meal of tentacles and stringy stuff. While he eats in his quarters, there's a chime at Kel's door. It's Geordi. Just the visitor Kel was expecting. It turns out Kel's the one handling the sleeper agent LaForge. Things are moving faster than he'd expected. It's a new plan. He'll bring Vach up to witness the investigation in Cargo Bay 4. When they get there, he wants Geordi to kill Vach with a hand phaser in front of a lot of witnesses. After that, Geordi is to say he acted on behalf of Starfleet in support of Creosian independence. Geordi says he understands. Act 5. Geordi wakes from a nightmare and calls Chief O'Brien. O'Brien is... alive... Which seems to sort of surprise LaForge. Sorry to bug you. Geordi goes to see Dr. Crusher, who gives him something to take the edge off. Where was that sort of hospitality when Sonny Clemens was on board? She spots a slight something-something medical something in his visual cortex. No big deal, though. Picard, meanwhile, is welcoming Kel and Vach back to the ship. Vach's not excited to be here, but whatever. Kel suggests they check out the investigation in Cargo Bay 4. Data has figured out that the E-band irregularities have come from inside the Enterprise. Time now to talk to the computer. What could use these E-band blips? Something that plugs directly into a person's brain. Say, like a visor, maybe. The next few minutes are a race to see whether Data will figure out what's going on in time to stop Geordi from killing Vah. Surprise, he does. With a call for help to Worf. Data explains that Geordi was kidnapped by the Romulans when he was supposed to be on Risa. Geordi has been, what used to be called, brainwashed. He also notes that three beings were together every time the E-band emissions occurred. Captain Picard, Geordi, whose visor was receiving the transmissions, and Kel, who was sending them. <laughs> this is awkward. Hey, Picard, uh, can I stay on the Enterprise, please? I mean, officially, I'd like to request asylum on the Enterprise, please. Picard says he'll be happy to grant Kel asylum after Vach and his crew take Kel back to Krios and clear him of suspicion. Yes, yeah, say goodbye to Ambassador Kel. Geordi's freaking out, by the way. He remembers Risa vividly, though it takes Counselor Troy about ten seconds to get Geordi to start remembering what really happened. She says he's off to a good start, though regaining his memories is a process that will take quite a while. The End uh, Vidi, what you did there, Vidi, what you did there with uh, your old friend Ludwig van. <laughs> <laughs> did you like that, Midrugi? <laughs> I did. Yeah, there's a lot of references in this episode. Of yeah. course, the major one we talked about, we'll talk about again. But let's talk about that shuttlecraft trip. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool. Uh, somebody actually wrote to us early on and said, this is kind of like what the self-driving car 
will turn into. You can you can sort of kick back. You can listen to some music. Um, I'm still very concerned about the idea that people in the 24th century don't know how to party. Jory uh, asked for you know boring music. Don't know how uh, to party though. I'm sorry. Arrival yeah. is scheduled for zero nine thirty two hours, right? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong is like nine thirty in the morning. Right. Yeah. Three three and a half hours, according to Jordy. That makes it uh, six in the morning when we see him on the shuttle. Right. And he's drinking. I have. Well, I I never wanted to hang out with Jordy LaForge more than I did at the beginning (laughs) of this episode, because, you know, it's 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 it is, as they say, it's seventeen hundred thirty two hours somewhere. Yeah. See, now you assumed cocktail. I assume this is Jordy. This is a 24th century. That guy's just he, he asked for a package of Tang. You think so? To, really? To get him to get him through the morning. I, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, it has a swizzle stick or maybe that was it, just it, a straw. It, it, so the Tang doesn't come out of solution. You got to, you know, stir they, it. They to make said sure it stays. Yeah. Re- relax. Have a good time. And my assumption was he had started that immediately. Uh, I do have a question, though. He is going to a conference yeah. on artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. He works with data. Right. Why is data not going to the conference on artificial intelligence? And why are Jordy and data not actually running the conference? Right. <laughs> right. Just, right. just to see. They could do yeah. like a, they could do putting on the Ritz. They could. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Because da- data that right can now. dance. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you really want to see artificial intelligence in action. You know, introduce them to that dapper man about town. Right, right. I, it, see, I, I kind of thought that like the whole excuse of having a conference on Ryza, mm-hmm. maybe they don't want a guy like Data. Maybe Jordy, they're just sort of letting pass because really it's just an excuse to get out of town and go to Ryza. It seems to be. You know, it's sort of like having a convention in Vegas. Now you are. What? <laughs> Conventions in Vegas are all work all the time, mister. Right. Don't right. let anybody tell me any different. Uh-huh. Or, or you. Um, yeah. You're kind of right about his whole uh, not knowing how to have a good time exactly, because what does he say no. he did? I mean, it sounds like being on a cruise, honestly. He ate. Um, yeah. he, he swam. Um, right. He took second place in a chess tournament. Now, mm-hmm. I'm assuming yeah. if it's a tournament, then you got to have, what, at least 16 people to start, right? Sure. Then you do elimination, then you do elimination, then you do elimination. Unless they're like and speed then- chess players in Washington Park. Yeah, that's a lot. Days. That's a lot of time, right? That's a it lot is. of time to spend doing that. Uh, I do also think, though, that everybody should have known that something was up the second that Jordy got back to the ship because he told the story about meeting a girl that neither started nor ended in complete embarrassment or tragedy. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> Troy yeah. should have been like, "So it seems like you had a good time." Yeah, I met a girl, uh, Captain. Yeah, <laughs> something is very wrong here. <laughs> right. Who are you, and what did you do with? Jordy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I do have a suggestion that the writers should have uh, renamed uh, Romulan uh, Commander Tabak, Tybak. Uh, just call him Subcommander Exposition. No. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I, because it, it's funny to me that this is a very complex plan mm-hmm. that, that they had to know, they had to intercept Jordy, they had to get him on board, and it had to be Jordy, and he had to be alone right. because he's the only guy with the visor, right? Mm. Um, and then what do they do? They get him in the room where there's all this expensive of really menacing looking equipment to hook him up to and they're they're affecting his brain waves and i gotta send these e-waves from another place it's very complex but what does the guy doing it have to do he's got to explain all of this to the other person in the room with him well he does have to explain it to us of course he does yeah. he does yeah but i thought it was a funny clunky bit of uh, exposition at the beginning of the show there what's interesting yeah. is i kept thinking um the whole time and this is something they could not have anticipated in 1991, mm-hmm. Bluetooth. Oh, sure. He's yeah, walking right. around with a Bluetooth transmitter, and they've put in like a Bluetooth receiver on Jordy's right. visor. And, and yeah, I love that, you know, it was the E-band. And like, what's, right. what's that? Well, it's a thing we're making up. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's totally plausible in the future that they would have that. By the 24th sure. century, please, we'll be able to do that. Well, actually, by the 21st as well, it turns out. Right. <laughs> so why not? Exactly. I got to ask a question, yeah. though. So so the Romulans mm-hmm. have this plan, as you say. They they, uh, they capture Jordy, and it has to be Jordy. And then uh, it was dress mm-hmm. up another black guy and send him. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully yeah, right. he's right. never met anybody at this conference. Hopefully the, yeah. uh, the chief engineer for the flagship of Starfleet has never met anyone else or nobody's ever seen a picture of him like in one of the technical journals maybe oh mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. leah brahms isn't there right you know right. or um anyone who he's ever come across 
I, I was a little bit concerned about that guy because what happens to him after he comes back from Risa? Oh, my assumption and, is and he's a Romulan. Uh, he's just a Romulan agent. Well, right, right. So, so then, what, what does he do? They they take a Romulan. They yeah. they maybe give him some plastic surgery or whatever to make him look vaguely like Jordy a little bit. <laughs> right. They they send him to uh, Risa, and then uh. here's this guy who's like, you know, long live the Empire. Oh wait, cocktails, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he just gets to Risa, and he has the time of his life. Yeah. Well, here's you know? here's the other thing. Actually, he may have just siphoned off a whole bunch of information about uh, about uh, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. The Romulans otherwise wouldn't have had. Man, 24th, 24th and a half century, the Romulans are going to make the best bots in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I need to order exactly. a ride. Oh, I wish we had one of those Romulan phones because they can do it just by thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. That's a very of the moment joke. I apologize. <laughs> Um, some good lines in this. I, I love uh, Ambassador Kell's line. Your modesty is very human, Captain. I will excuse it. Yeah, that was <laughs> nice. Nice, nice little uh, exposition about uh, the way that the Klingons look at humans. Um, I, I thought I, I've kind of felt bad for Chief O'Brien that the Romulans seemed a little obsessed with Chief O'Brien. You know, how so? Um, well, you know, he's the guy that they want Jordy to kill in their simulation. Yeah. And then he's the guy that Jordy dreams about killing. He's the guy that, you know, he dumps the uh, drink on in 10 forward. This is like, he's just the transporter guy. <laughs> you know, well, I what mean, did he do to anger the Romulans. Well, yeah. I mean, again, it has to be. I mean, we have to care a tiny bit more. Right. I mean, that happens very early in the Mentorian candidate when she says, Sergeant, take the gun and shoot the corporal. Yes, yes, yes. But I mean, we're given to understand that the corporal. Is, is basically their mascot. Mm. So it's got to be somebody. It can't be just like random red shirt or random gold shirt, as the case may be. Oh, it could have been Wesley. <laughs> oh, but he's really gone. They're going to bring him back. They're going to bring him back for that. That's going to be his majestic return to TNG is getting shot well, by Jordy. I, I, by his you best know, friend, I, though. And he was the mascot. Okay. Okay. You're making a his case. His best friend. And I think the, the kid in the Manchurian Candidate, he's so young and fresh faced. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, Wesley you, all over. Yeah, if I you, ever saw one. You've already got Cole Mini on retainer at that point, though. Uh, okay, okay. Although seriously, yeah. I you know we've already talked a million times about how much we love Will Wheaton. There are a lot mm-hmm. of people who mm-hmm. would have been happy to see Will Wheaton come back onto TNG <laughs> just to get shot. <laughs> That's very true. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a right thing. I'm saying it's a true thing. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, poor Worf. That, that guy, he, he's just still feeling the effects of his discommendation. It, it's got to be rough on him. But but at least he gets a little bit of a thanks for killing Duras, yep. if not an outright thanks. He's saying, like, you know, many people would thank you for killing Duras. <laughs> and and I love the, uh, the the sort of the justification for it that Kel says, uh, who cares for motives? Humans, perhaps. Yeah. Great line. <laughs> Another great line. I got to ask a question, though. So mm-hmm. Worf accepted uh, discommendation because he didn't want to start a Klingon civil war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we have heard repeatedly that no one speaks Worf's name. Right. Except then Kel comes. He's like, by the way, there are lots of people on the high council who want to thank you. And I want to thank you, too. And I'm right. thinking this could still lead to civil war. Oh, right. <laughs> the, people, yes. the people who do speak Worf's name and the people who don't speak Worf's name. Yeah. Well, you, you might be on to something there, Ken. Maybe maybe there will be some payoff for this. You think so? I, I Just maybe. Just maybe there will be something related to this uh, that pops up later in a story. It sounds like they're building something here. Can't wait to find uh-huh. out. Yeah. Uh, Picard, the master of diplomacy, swears well. Oh, he swears like a Klingon. He does. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good lesson right there, is that uh, you, you got to meet people on their own level if you're going to be a great diplomat. And if it means swearing, shouting in a uh, Klingon's face, then, then that's the way to do it. Yep. That yeah, was a good scene. I don't know exactly what he said in that scene, but I'm sure that one of our listeners who speaks fluent Klingon will let us know if we ask nicely. I'm sure they can't believe they let it go out over the air. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um. Now, at some point, Ken, somebody on the Enterprise should really have a serious talk with Data and Jordy about proper phaser safety. Um, They are shooting this presumably more powerful weapon right there in engineering. Mm -hmm. Uh, There seem to be no safety precautions at all, nor any warning when it's about to be fired. Mm -hmm. Jordy's just like, oh, yeah, I guess we better do. And then it goes and he just fires it. You know, Data's standing right there, just right there. Yeah, I don't understand how this didn't create more of a commotion because if Star Trek VI taught us anything, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, first of all, that, you know, 
time is everywhere, but it's also <laughs> it's just everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's just everywhere. But it's also that every time a phaser is fired, an alarm goes off and security comes running. You know, every time a phaser mm-hmm. is fired on the Enterprise, I mean, except for all those other times that no alarm goes off and that no one, you know, even knows that it happened. Mm-hmm. But a particularly mm-hmm. powerful phaser that nobody was expecting. Yeah, right. You'd think it would have been more of a commotion. Yeah. And not even a phaser whose signature That's perfectly true. mimics oh, the wow. signature of phasers on the Enterprise. That's right. The computer yeah. looked at most phaser fire and go, ah, that's just the Enterprise crew shooting each other up. But. <laughs> right. But, but now this. But this, this, this is, this is different. Somebody better uh, do yeah. some. Oh, well, data's right there. Yeah. 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 Do you think data, that, by the way, do you think data. So I said in the thing. So data's been trying to figure out what the whole E-band thing is, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, okay, now time to talk to the computer. And my initial thought was they should have been talking to the computer all the way because all they had to do was ask the right questions. Yep. Do you think data finds it distasteful to, to query the computer? <laughs> well, he might. He might. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's sort of like I should be able to figure this out. I'm gonna, now I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going to ask that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask that thing. Oh, I'm sorry. That implies that the data has feelings. Oh, yeah, you can't go there. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I didn't even mean to. Yeah, you wouldn't dare. Let's talk about something else. The Klingon transporter beam is red. Mm -hmm. The Romulan transporter beam is green. Mm -hmm. Clearly, color coordination is a huge priority in the 24th century. (laughs) Their transporters also seem to be better than the Federation's. Oh, they're instantaneous. It's crazy, right? Yeah, they're super fast. Although our guys are good at knowing exactly which three people are supposed to be a mop. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when Picard is down there and they're looking over, the, they've taken the weapon back now and they're showing it to Vach right. and saying, hey, uh, but this was made by Romulans. And Vach's like, I'm going to check it out. And Picard's like, cool, three to beam up. And I wanted somebody to be like, okay, I got two humans, but there's, <laughs> there's two Klingons and I'm not sure which one. Right. Tell me, right. please. <laughs> Should we half of each and just see what we get? Because, you know. It's, um, like, it's like the fly, but yeah, very much like the fly. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought the uh, the cover story. If you go back to the conspiracy here, the cover story was pretty bad. Um, why would Jordy be acting in the name of Creosian independence? Uh, you know, because all it would take is somebody to go. That's that's really interesting, Jordy. I had no idea that this was that important to you. Well, he's been brainwashed to think that it is, though, right? Uh, well, yeah. That, now he has. He'll be able to sell it after that. I mean, he'll yeah. seriously. He would be absolutely be able to sell it after that. So they go back like in his records and they, they have like maybe a, a college essay by like a 19 year old Jordy. Like, and here's what I think about Creosian independence. And he yeah. just on and on and on about the. Yeah. Well, those are easy to plant. Oh, right. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, now, where were all the cameras on the Enterprise? We, we have to ask. Uh, Worf asks, where were you at 1130 this morning? And, and seriously, the computer sees and hears everything. Right. So Worf asks, and um, uh, O'Brien is just like, yeah, I was uh, in my quarters. Uh, no, not in his quarters. He was at the Arboretum with Keiko. Yeah. Because why wouldn't he be? And Jordy's <laughs> like, yeah, I was in my place. And, um, you know, it just seemed interesting. The transporter logs may have been erased, but, you know, fingerprints, door codes. Oh, maybe that little location chip inside your comm badge that seems to know where you are at all times. Yeah. Um, it seems like there might be a record of that. It does. Although I'm actually what's because here's the thing. We've talked before about how are there cameras on the Enterprise? Yes, there are when we need there to be. And obviously this week we need there to not be right. I mean, it would have helped oh, Worf. Yeah, yeah. It would have helped Worf, certainly, but, you know, wouldn't have helped the viewer at all. But, um, well, that's the kind of thing that wouldn't get past data. You right. know, data would be like, where were you? And they say, and okay, cool. I have like nine ways to check this out. You tell Worf, and he's like, oh, good enough for me. Well, that's, that's the weird thing to me, <laughs> though, is Jordy, Jordy is like, yeah, so uh, Costa has an alibi, and Data has an alibi, and O'Brien has an alibi, and I don't, but I'm Jordy. <laughs> Right. You know? Yeah. And Worf's like, well, then yeah. there must be a fifth person on the ship that could do this because obviously uh, it can't have been the three guys who it obviously can't have been, <laughs> nor you. <laughs> Stupid Romulans, stupid Klingons. Geordi might have bridged a gap in understanding between Data and the crew, between the Enterprise computer and its creators, between carbon-based and silicon-based life. But no. Politics ruin everything. Stupid Romulans, 
stupid. Hang on. Techno geek getting caught on stupid techno things. Here's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. Were the Romulans and Jordy on the holodeck for uh, the time when he killed O'Brien? Or was the whole thing happening in Jordy's head? Uh, actually, Ken, I'm going to give you a third option okay. uh, that you don't have here. And it's probably because I just recorded recently a podcast about uh, From Russia with Love. Okay. And at the beginning of that, you remember that um, Spectre had a, uh, a training camp and Red Grant is kind of stalking around and he kills James Bond, but they, they pull the mask off and they realize it was just some other Spectre agent who is there for training, just some guy. And, and he really is dead. And I'm thinking this is the way that the Romulans behave too. It's like, you know what? We need to really test out Jordy's ability to uh, kill people given an order. So if we have some Romulans who aren't doing anything at the moment, they're going to be the props in our simulation. And we'll, uh, we'll just put a guy over there at our uh, fate 10 forward set. And uh, and if he gets killed in the process, and so be it. Maybe it was stun. Maybe, maybe to Jordy, it looks like it was a kill. Maybe it was just a stun. But it was a pretty complex situation. I, I don't think it was just in Jordy's head. I think it was just in Jordy's head. Really? Yeah, because... So I, I assumed it was a holodeck recreation, right? Because they appear mm-hmm. to be in 10 Ford. And you see them standing right. by the bar, and it just looks like the normal bar. And right. then they're like, oh, go over and kill your pal. And so mm-hmm. he goes over to kill his pal, except he can't do it. And then um, Mr. Buttons says, look at me. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and there's Mr. Buttons uh, you know, through Jordy's uh, visor view. Right. And Mr. Buttons has a bunch of buttons to push, which were not right. on the bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So either okay. the holodeck is hiding the control panel from everyone except once he actually starts pushing the buttons, then Jordy can see them, or is the whole thing happening in Jordy's head? Hmm. And maybe it's just, a, I mean, it's probably mm-hmm. actually just a dumb inconsistency, but you, yeah, got, yeah. you got two choices in this episode. You can either, you know, be amazed at how much they borrowed, took, paid homage to the Manchurian <laughs> candidate, or you can latch on to something else, you know, that's, that's fun with the whole mind bleepery thing. Because right, the mind right. bleepery thing in the Manchurian Candidate is straight up hypnosis, right? Sure, yeah. And yeah. they've got, for people who haven't seen it, it's been 50 years, so it's on you, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. They've got the guys hypnotized, and they're sitting in front of a room full of, of, of military officers from the Chinese army, from the Red Chinese Army, right? like there's a blue one. Uh, mm-hmm. People sitting in front of the officers from the Chinese army, and all the guys are sitting there, but they're under the impression that they are at a at a garden party meeting mm-hmm. or like a flower show meeting or something like that. Yep. And they think it's a bunch of old women that they're sitting in front of and they think it's an old woman talking to them even though it's not. I mean, they, they do the yeah. whole basically thing that with the hypnosis and the brainwashing, there's no technology thing introduced. And so when we right. see Mr. Buttons actually tapping buttons there, then suddenly I'm like, wow, did Jordy ever even leave that chair? Did they bring him in, strap him in the chair, and the next time he moves is when he's back in his uh, back in the shuttle on the way back to the Enterprise? Mm-hmm. That's good questions. Yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was either a physical set or partial physical set, mm-hmm. um, and then probably some holodeck type thing because we know the Romulans can do holodeck stuff, sort of, kind of. How do we know um, that, though? Because I was thinking that, too, except it was the oh, one no, where wait, it turns so, yeah. out it was the kid. Yeah, it was the kid. It was yeah. the computer yeah, running the kid stuff. it wasn't even the Romulans, yeah. Yeah, because the Romulans yeah. seemed like they had the best holodeck technology, but then it turns out it was the little boy's uh, computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, In that episode that neither of us can remember the name of. Right, well, and I, I don't want to jump ahead to Enterprise, either. What? I wouldn't dare do that. I, I wouldn't dare do that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Just forget I even said it. It's not an important thing. I just I think I kind of like it more if the whole thing happens in Jordy's head, actually, because that makes it. Well, this is a really sick sentence to say. I think I like it more if it happens in Jordy's head because that's more of a violation. You don't yeah. have, you don't have like the whole yeah. you know the set thing and the actors thing or did he really kill a guy? Although the did he really kill a guy thing is kind of interesting. If we had actually if we had actually seen instead of the dead face of O'Brien staring at us, if we had seen a dead Romulan staring at us mm-hmm. when Jordy goes to sit down, that would have been a serious amount of mind bleepery and also would have screwed Jordy up a whole lot more <laughs> once he uncovers Ooh, that yeah. memory. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Call somebody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there's a lot to worry about there uh, yeah. with uh, Jordy's mental health. Um, yeah. I, I am concerned a bit about the idea that any time somebody from the Enterprise freaks out and almost causes total destruction, that they seem to just sort of go back to their jobs like nothing <laughs> happened. So Data, Data, we've seen do this. Um, and yeah, he just got reprogrammed, but he's fine. Just let him back here. You know, Picard, totally assimilated by the Borg. His strategic knowledge led to the deaths of 11,000 people mm-hmm. still in command after a short trip to France. Now, he cried it out. He got he you know, he was able to have that moment. He was able to have a good cry about it, work out his emotions that way. But still, he's back in the big chair. Um Jordy now reprogrammed by Robulans to assassinate uh, the, the, the Klingon governor. Um, let's just talk it out. Let's just talk it out. Um, I, I actually do wish, and, and I think it would be very different if it was done today, that there was some long-term effect on him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love the way this episode ends. Even if it's a little clunky, they're trying to get across something about Jordy and the state that he's in. And it's really dark. It's really frightening. Um, But this is the kind of thing where I think, okay, we're sort of approaching the end of season four. If this had happened at the beginning of the season, or or like I said, if this show was being written 10 years later, 20 years later than when it was, is this the kind of thing that would have some severe psychological repercussions later? Do we actually have to get rid of Jordy for a little while to kind of work through this? Do people trust him anymore? Because, well, does it just take a few E-waves sent to him from anywhere to turn this mechanism back on in his brain. Mm-hmm. All Deanna is really concerned about at this moment is just recreating the memories, which is also scary. And I'll get to that in a moment, too. <laughs> well, I mean, you bring up a couple of things, actually. I'm trying to figure out who would still be on the Enterprise if we took everybody out of the game who should have been taken out of the game. Because mm-hmm. Picard not only was assimilated by the Borg, didn't he also have his body taken over twice? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. That's just a thing, yeah. And then, uh, of course, Beverly lived in a universe of her own for a while, so I guess maybe she still gets to stick around, because that yeah, was that, actually yeah. a thing that actually yeah. happened, and she came back from it, and she was fine. She wasn't you know, taken over by anything. Uh, just last mm-hmm. week, our first officer uh, was playing host to uh, to a trill, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. was he a trill, because I don't know how that whole yeah. thing works, but his body was taken over by something else. But here's the thing, though. We're all flying around now in the universe that brought us conspiracy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, sure. anybody you look at could be not themselves. Right. I, I kind of wonder if they're just like, I got to trust that he's going to be okay here because, man, we really come across some stuff at this point, right? Right. Do, right. Like, like, does the average John and Jane, are we peeling potatoes down at the bottom? <laughs> I'm not Jane, by the way. Do the average no, John no, and okay. Ken know that, you know, that there is a mirror universe? Like, are we oh, sitting there man. thinking about the evil potato peelers on the other 171D in the other universe? Mm. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's so much, and this is kind of true of life as well. Holy cow, I may have found a message, and I know I'm a little early here. There's okay. so much that can kill all of these people at any time. There's so mm-hmm. much that has tried to kill all of these people at any time. And, you know, honestly, same goes for us. But we still get up and right. we still go out and we still do stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they're yeah, they're still flying through the universe, even though things are really, you know, awful a lot of times, <laughs> because if they give in to how awful things are, well, then they don't go anywhere. Then they don't explore. Then they're just, you know, opening a restaurant back on Earth or something, which doesn't sound terrible to me. But, yeah, you know, right. Right. I mean, they're not they're not they're not doing if they let everything that might, you know, might shut them down, shut them down. At the same time, you're yeah. right. I mean, the captain gets taken over twice and gets assimilated by the Borg. His first officer gets taken over by something else. The next guy in line has shown that he can actually hijack the whole ship and take it someplace else by himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it may be time for a little bit of a shakeup in command. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a weird thought. Um, th- there was kind of a total recall thing going on with Jordi being given memories about his trip to Risa. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that was kind of interesting. So not only could they... You know, you mentioned the the hypnosis and entry and candidate. This is something a little different and seeming a little deeper and also technology driven, Mm -hmm. kind of like Total Recall, where you can just sort of say, oh, yeah, here's all the details of everything that happened. And here's how much time it took. And here are the people that you met. Um, The thing that I really respond to in an episode like this or ideas like this is just the, the, the concept of memory. We've talked a little about this before. 
that memories are extremely malleable and therefore incredibly unreliable. You know, mm-hmm. the, this idea that a memory, I've said it before, is not just sort of a thing that you can turn on and hit play in your head. It is actually a thing you are constructing actively to fit the narrative of your life. When, when you decide to remember something, you are building that memory. You know, you're not just going like, oh, yeah, here's the the file drawer in my head where I store that picture or that sound or whatever. Um, and it's funny because it it almost plays like implanting a false memory when Deanna is talking to Jordy at the end. I thought that was a little chilling. She says to him, and what was the first thing you did when you saw the Romulan ship? You know, she's asking him to walk through leaving the Enterprise in the shuttle pod. Mm hmm. And he sort of goes off right before that, uh, talking about Risa, convinced that all of this happened. But Deanna's the one who says she basically creates the story anew. And then she says right after that, we will reconstruct your memory together, which to me is a whole other episode with a whole other set of problems, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it could seriously mess up Jordy. Um, Deanna wasn't there. She doesn't know. All we can do is kind of structure together scientifically what we can infer happened to the shuttlecraft. Mm-hmm. What were the things that got replicated in that shuttlecraft, like the uh, isolinear memory chips that uh, that data discovered? Um, and then the sort of the political background of what's going on. We don't actually know what happened to Geordi. Um The only person who knows is well, Mr. Buttons, <laughs> who is in charge of that reprogramming <laughs> right. of Jordy. So there was something a little sinister and a little weird about this, I thought. Well, again, I have to go back to what I was saying earlier, though. I mean, there's mm. potentially something sinister about it, sure, except they all have to move, you know, in the belief that the person who's taking care of them is actually taking care of them. In a, mm-hmm. I'm looking out for your best interest sense, not in a mafioso sense, right? Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, that she's actually looking out for him in this. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem like it would be difficult at all to uh, to lead him down a completely different path. Yeah, I mean, of course she is looking out for him. And, and of course she she has his best interest in mind. But the idea is kind of the same. You know, the Romulans got to create false memories for him to fit the narrative that they wanted to tell the story they wanted to tell, mm-hmm. to get the, the the actions and reactions out of him that they wanted. Deanna gets to do the same thing. It Now, it's a benign form of that. She gets to sort of put back together the Geordi that was there before, but it's also just sort of convincing him that these are the things that actually happened, even though she wasn't there, even though the eyewitnesses who were there aren't going to be around to give their side of the story because, well, they're Romulan and they hide until they come up with something nasty to do to somebody else. With Geordi's mind sufficiently broken and with war between the Klingons and the Federation avoided, it is time to see what we can see in the mind's eye. The eye of the mind of the Manchurian candidate, John. <laughs> it's the time to ask the questions about messages, morals, and meanings, and whether or not we think the episode holds up. And I put the question to you, sir, does this episode, uh, the mind's eye is actually the name of the episode, does it hold up? If you've never seen the Manchurian candidate, this episode will blow your mind the first time you've seen it. Mm-hmm. You'll think, oh, this is so cool. It's got intrigue and spies and brain reprogramming and all this crazy stuff. And and will Jordy be able to go through with it? And will he just dump more drinks on O'Brien? What is he up to? You know, all these good questions here. Um, but if you've seen the Manchurian Candidate, then you see this and you either think, wow, that was a, a nice little homage to Manchurian Candidate. Or you think. I've already seen this before. (laughs) Um, It's a good episode in that it successfully builds tension. But at the end of the day, it's really just about solving the mystery, Mm -hmm. solving the problem of what happened to Jordy and how we be able to get out of it. Um, There is some good expansion here of what's going on with the Klingons. Uh, Worf's actions are still there to haunt him. And there's still a fracture among the top political structure of the Klingon Empire. Um, And the Romulans, like I said, are still kind of sneaking around in the background. So so in that sort of universe building that Next Generation is doing, this 
sort of fits in as another piece of the puzzle there. Um, but your enjoyment of this episode honestly may just come down to how you feel about the 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 homage that is this entire piece. Um, I respect the fact that they sort of from the beginning, uh, David Livingston said, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I am making my version of Manchurian Candidate and doing it on the platform of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, and I've said that before, you know, Star Trek as a format is a is a universe that we can play in and tell different kinds of stories. So we can tell horror stories and we can tell uh, stories that have sort of social or political uh, commentary and consequence. And we can tell stories that are political thrillers like this. So cool. You, you got to use these characters to tell that story that you really respond to. At the end of the day, though, what did we really accomplish other than the director getting to say, hey, I love this movie. I want to tell it again. So it's a tough call for me to say whether or not it holds up. It holds up in many ways. I think the characters are good. I I love Jordy's moment at the end, the the sort of anguish, uh, realizing what he's been through. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think, well, I just watched Manchurian Candidate last night, and I love that movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And this, this retells that. Um, I, I guess that's a whole other show that you and I could have is discussing the merits of, of an homage versus a remake versus right out stealing mm-hmm. an idea. <laughs> so, you know, right. Um, so and, and there are differences there. There are definitely some differences here. So that, that's not to say that beat by beat, it's the same. But the, you know, the, the premise, the, the, the backbone of this is kind of the same. What about you? Well, yeah, I mean, beat by beat, you're right. I mean, this is not Gus Van Zandt's Psycho, right? No, no, no. Um, which I think had one shot that was mm-hmm. different. And otherwise, it was it was pretty much a frame-by-frame remake, I, yeah. as I understand it. Right. Um, and not worth watching. Watch Psycho. Again, Janet Lee. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you've not seen The Manchurian Candidate, this will be great. And then you'll watch The Manchurian Candidate, and you'll actually be in a better position than I'm in, because you will love this episode, and then you'll really love The Manchurian Candidate. And then you might actually mm. have a fondness for this episode, because it introduced you to that. Um, yeah. If you've seen The Manchurian Candidate, though, yes, they're doing an homage. Yes, they're doing it off of the hat. The problem is... That is just an amazing movie, in my opinion. It's it's shot mm-hmm. beautifully. It's acted incredibly well. There are moments of levity in that movie that are that are really bizarre. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they seem mm-hmm. to sort of come from out of nowhere. There's tremendous sadness in that movie. He's a hated character. Our main yeah. character in the Manchurian Candidate. Well, I don't know. It depends on who you think the main character is. The guy who is the right the, Raymond. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, the, the greatest guy ever lived, or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's actually. I mean, he is a despised character mm-hmm. as that movie as that movie begins. Uh, Jordy is not. I mean, the edges are softened here. Plus, you got to do the whole thing in forty-eight minutes. Yeah, right. And so, if you've seen the Manchurian Candidate more than once, if it is a favorite of yours. And it's not one that I go back and watch over and over again, but it is a a movie that I love. Then I have a hard time with this episode, especially if you don't mind me transitioning to the to the messages part of it. Um, Well, I feel like the Manchurian Candidate has message and this episode is largely stripped of that, if not entirely stripped of it. But let me let me ask you about message first. What are there any in this episode as far as you're concerned? No, I mean, I, I think really this episode is about the political intrigue. Like I said, it's an episode that builds tension. Um, and, and again, you know, it, it, David Livingston's a fan of Manchurian Candidates. So am I. Mm-hmm. So I respect the idea that you love that story so much that you wanted to tell your own version of it. Um, and uh, like I said, there's this whole gray area about morals, meanings, messages um, that were, were the very idea of uh, of doing a remake when maybe you're not going with the morals, meanings, messages of the original or or putting sort of a new spin on that. I think if you take this purely on its own, there's not a lot there, but maybe there are some little things that that are threads in this. Um, 
you know, having allies is important. We we see Picard at work here as a diplomat again, um, working to maintain peace, and and allies need to work together to maintain peace. It's interesting that the Klingons assume that everyone is out to fight them. Picard assumes that peace is the default, and anything that would interrupt that along the way is the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, their their points of view are totally different. So there has to be sort of a, a moment of convincing and finding common ground there. So so seeing that happen is is an interesting idea in this. Um, like I said, I'm also fascinated by the idea of memory. It's something that you can't really trust. <laughs> that even your own memory, you can't really trust. So that's not necessarily a message, but it is an interesting idea to play with um, because you can just keep going further and further down the rabbit hole as far as that goes. Um, also, uh, beware the queen of diamonds. I'll just uh, I'll throw that. Back. <laughs> Um, nice. Okay. But yeah. Uh, but uh, what? What else? I mean, because like you were starting to say there, it, it kind of hinges on Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. Well, I mean, Manchurian yeah. Candidate. Maybe it's because it had a longer time, or maybe it's because we're not dealing with alien races. Um, that movie was a psychological thriller, as is this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. But it had serious political messages as well. The Manchurian Candidate did. Uh, you talked about it earlier, and we talked about it a few weeks ago when we did the Drumhead. Um, yeah. Just the the straight out McCarthy hearings, you know, or well, Senator Joe McCarthy um, layer, um, yeah, center, chewy chocolate center of Manchurian <laughs> candidate. If you want to say that, I don't know. Yeah, this episode could have brought that message, and I guess you can still kind of argue that it does because this Klingon is once again acting dishonorably to protect the honor of the Klingon Empire. But I mean, you, you kind of have to. You kind of have to then say, okay, who was which part in this whole thing? Okay, so so mm-hmm. Kel is Angela Lansbury, and Angela Lansbury was you know whatever, blah blah blah. Okay, it's kind of there, but you really have to know it's there, and you really have to say, oh, okay, that's the line that you draw to that. So there's where the message is, even though the message is like not here at all. I mean, it, in the Manchurian Candidate, you get meat and potatoes. Here you get meat or potatoes, uh, depending on which one you think the story minus the message would be. Is I guess yes. is I guess what I would say. I mean, it's 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 all kind of here, but it's more like okay, there's one course, and then there's a place here where the other course could be, should be, might be. Yeah, but it's not. Which again is fine. I mean, I would love this episode if I didn't know the Manchurian Candidate as well as I do. So if mm-hmm. you don't know the Manchurian Candidate, boy oh boy, are you going to have a great weekend. Seriously. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not, no, one, not really one for true. the kids. Mm-hmm. It should be mm-hmm. sad. I mean, not the young, not the particularly young children anyway. Probably teenager and up, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Oh, sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. for people who like seriously have no idea about the movie. Yeah. It's not, don't sit the five-year-old down in front of it because that's bad right, times right. ahead for you. Yeah. 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 So yeah, definitely watch uh, Manchurian Candidate. But I, you know, as I watched that movie again, I kept thinking about the drumhead mm-hmm. because that was such a deep episode of Next Generation in terms of morals, meanings, messages, themes, kind of ideas to ponder. Um, whereas this one was not. But if you take all three of those together, you take that movie and you take the drumhead and you take this, they kind of all exist in that same world of spy, intrigue, political background machinations um so maybe, maybe they all just sort of work together well yeah i, I don't know you know no i think yeah. I, I think you actually kind of hit on something uh the mm-hmm. drumhead is the sort of deep thought of the manchurian candidate mm-hmm. um this episode is the action of the manchurian candidate mm-hmm. and you need to see the manchurian candidate yeah, and by the way, this is not a new drinking game. Uh, please do not take a shot every time we say Manchurian Candidate. Someone will be in pain. I would say you can from now on, though, because it's not going to be as easy to do as... Um, oh, what was that other one? Ah, it'll come to me. Hey, mm-hmm. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. It's not just more about Roddenberry. It's more about the, the, the foundation stuff they do. They got, they got stuff they're selling. Uh, where they're going to be, roddenberry.com is the place to find out about all of that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, in theory.
some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. We will be back again next week. Until then, why do you not pass the time by playing a little solitaire? And transmission. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.